Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. Uh, so thankful that you have the opportunity to worship uh, with us today. We can all worship together. My name is Jason, one of the guys on the team here. And if you are our guest, uh, we're so thankful and glad that you have joined us today. Uh, we know that there are many places that you could be. So the fact that you are here with us is always an encouragement to us. And we hope that you find Fellowship Greenville to, to be a place that makes much of Jesus and the beauty and the hope of the gospel. I want to invite you to stop by uh, guest services out in the commons or the back corner here of Auditorium 2, where I am today after the service, where some friendly uh, folks would love to, to meet you. And uh, just we keep talking about it. I don't know if you've picked up on it. We keep talking about something called Starting Point. And we would love everyone who's never been a part of a Starting Point to go to a Starting Point. At Starting Point, you would get a 60-minute interactive conversation with a few of us uh, that lead and minister here to help you get plugged in at fellowship. Unfortunately, the one that is being offered in the month of November is being offered right now during this hour. And I'm not even offended if you want to get up and walk out of here right this minute and go to that. They'll, they'll welcome you there. We're looking. Anybody? No? Okay. There'll be another one in January. So keep your ears open for that. If you've never been to a starting point, we would love for you to go be a part of one of those. One of the questions that I often like to ask myself is this. How is the gospel changing me? How do I observe that I am growing in Christ's likeness? How does my spiritual maturity look different today than it did 10 years ago or five years ago or last year or earlier this year? And it's not because I want to consider if I'm awesome, but because a life lived with Christ is a life that will be changing does that make sense? Do you, I'll ask of you, do you do the work of looking at your life and seeing growth, even, even celebrating growth? And again, not because you're incredible, but because the Lord is kind and the Lord is gracious and loving and patient, and he is in the business of molding us and shaping us and changing us. As a husband and a dad, I love to see my family growing spiritually. I celebrate it. I intentionally point out that growth when I see it taking place, whether it be with my wife or my kids. As a pastor, I love to point it out when I see it in those that I'm pastoring, and I do see it. I see it often. Maybe your community group points it out to you or your family or the Bible study that you're a part of or your coworker or your classmate. Maybe they're the ones pointing it out. Some of you even uh, getting baptized last week, you shared your personal story of life change and how you've continued to grow, not just coming to know Jesus, but how he has continued to grow you and change you is beautiful. He's in the business of doing that. And it's not because you're attempting to change to impress God. No, it's because of the love and grace that God has shown you and drawing you to himself through Jesus. So you desire to grow and change and walk in obedience. And here at Fellowship Greenville, we often talk about the fact that if the gospel is shaping us and is changing us, if we are growing, it'll be in many different ways. So for some of you, it might be in your, uh, one of our values here of enjoying God. For some of you, that's the change that you've seen the most in your life, a hunger for God's word, to read it and study it, to meditate upon it, to obey it. For others, it might be your willingness to step into biblical community. You're growing and putting yourself out there to be known by others that will walk with you through life and hold you accountable in your walk with Jesus. That for you, even, even though relationships are hard at times and 
challenging at times, you're discovering that while biblical community is for you, it's actually not all about you. It might be that you're growing and using your spiritual gifts. You've begun to serve the body of Christ here at Fellowship Greenville with no expectation of return. We talk about that a lot. And for the first time, you're giving your life away with no expectation of return. And it's life-giving to you. Others of you may be growing in boldness to share Jesus with others as the Spirit of God opens doors for us to love our neighbor and our family members and co-workers and classmates. You've observed, you've seen a change in your concern for those that have yet to meet the one that you have met in Jesus Christ. And maybe it's a combination of all of those things. We would say that all of those things are uh, marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let me ask it again. Do you see change in your life? Do you celebrate that change and thank the Lord for it because he's the one that's doing it? Do you have relationships where you talk about it with others and others are close enough to you that they can speak it into your life and they can celebrate it with you? Another area of life change and gospel transformation that we've talked about in the past and we're actually focusing in on this current series called Multiply is stewardship. The idea of generosity was a reminder. We said this a few weeks ago. A steward is someone who manages somebody else's stuff with the goals of the owner in mind. In other words, a follower of Jesus who is being a biblical steward says, God, thank you for entrusting your stuff to me. Now, what would you like me to do with your stuff? Or maybe I could say it this way since I'm saying it in a lot of different ways. Stewardship is managing the things the Lord has put into our hands in such a way that the world observes and sees that Jesus changes everything, including how we handle stuff and things and money and time and resources. And I believe that's what we've seen over our time together these past few weeks in this Multiply series as we've studied the passages that we've studied, Luke 15, 2 Chronicles 29, Luke 16, 2 Corinthians 9. I believe what we've seen is that stewarding well as a follower of Jesus would definitely entail us being generous with what the Lord has placed in our hands, or again, said this way, a distinguishing mark of God's people has always been and will always be their generosity. Therefore, if God is committed to growing us and he's committed to changing us and seeing sanctification take place in our lives, we can say that growing in generosity will be a part of growing as a disciple of Jesus. So allow me to ask you once again, do you see a growing of generosity in your life? Do you see the tangible, practical change in regards to living with your hands open as you look back over your life and up to this point? Are you more generous now than you were 10 years ago? Are you more generous now than you were five years ago? Are you more generous now than you were this time last year? Are you more generous than you were a few months ago? Are we growing 
by intentionally inviting God to speak into our finances? Is there an increased joy in your giving, as we were reminded last week and we'll talk about again this morning? And are we taking the time to look and examine and observe and even celebrate if stewardship and generosity growth is taking place in our lives? Because if you study the scriptures, as we have been doing, (laughs) what you will see is that God's design from the very beginning is that his people would live differently in regards to stewardship and generosity because generosity allows for us to extend a tangible, touchable expression of who God is to a world far from him. And so today we conclude this five-week series called Multiply, and it's uh, Commitment Sunday. This is the Sunday that we've asked everybody who belongs to Fellowship Greenville to kind of look towards, to be praying about what the Lord would have all of us give as we look to expand ministry down the road six miles to Adams Mill. And hundreds of you have already done that, and we anticipate that hundreds hundreds more of us will. But really what I wanted to do this morning was conclude our time in this series by taking a bit more time to talk about the biblical motivation for being generous. Because here's the deal. If, if we miss this or if we don't keep coming back to this, I would say as a follower of Jesus, if we aren't regularly contemplating this, then I think we might, we might give to something while missing the heart of giving We might respond to a need without understanding how the invitation is not just about a monetary need, but about a way of walking through all of life with a growing and transforming heart in regards to sacrificial generosity that has kingdom ramifications, a a theology of generosity that keeps moving all of us towards gospel-motivated yet incredibly intentional sacrificial generosity. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter eight, which is the chapter before chapter nine, where we were last week. The Apostle Paul had planted a church in the city of Corinth. It was a happening city back in the day. They had a lot of issues in the city and they had a lot of issues in the church. They had some sin in the city and they had some sin in the church. And Paul had written 1 Corinthians and encouraged them via gospel motivation to stop doing some of the stuff they were doing. And then in 2 Corinthians, that was written to counter some false teaching that was happening in the church. But in 2 Corinthians, you come to chapter eight and you come to chapter nine and Paul talks about generosity. And by that, I mean this. These two chapters are all about cultivating a culture of generosity in God's people. They're all about cultivating a a culture of generosity in the church. And the way Paul talks about cultivating a culture of generosity in the church begins with this. Individual followers of Jesus embracing the value of generosity, why? Because the church is a people. And when the individuals that make up a church family are generous, then you have a church, a faith community that is generous. And that generosity puts the gospel on display locally and nationally and globally, all the places. 
But as you always see with Paul, the motivation in regards to the generosity, well, that's the key. More on that in a minute. I wanna take a couple of moments and, and give you a little bit more on the background in regards to chapters eight and nine. Now, Charlie briefly touched on it last week, but we were also, if you were here, working in 25 baptisms into those services, so I have a few extra minutes today. Lucky you. I know you're so glad to be here. <clears throat> Paul has uh, Paul's been collecting money from the Gentile churches so that he can take the money to the Messianic Jews living in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians who have become poor and destitute because they're being persecuted by their countrymen for following Jesus and because there's a pretty severe famine taking place and so times were tough for those in Judea. So get a load of this. In addition to going from city to city to preaching the gospel and planting churches, Paul was raising money. He was collecting money. He was talking about being generous in regards to kingdom purposes. This is a significant part of his ministry back in the day. And with that in mind, I want to go back and I want to reread these verses from chapter 9 last week. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, and 13. It'll be on the screen, or you can flip over there since you're so close. It says this. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their, the Jewish Christians, approval of this service from you all, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. What? Catch this. This collection is not simply about helping the poor. It is about that. But it's also about unifying Jews and Gentiles into one body in Christ. You see, there were still many Jewish Christians who believed the Gentiles had to first become Jews before they could become Christians, which is not the teaching of the gospel. And Paul believes that when these Christ followers in Jerusalem see this generosity from this church, Corinth, this outpouring of grace from the Gentile churches, that the Jewish followers of Jesus would give thanks to God and embrace the fact that God is saving Gentiles too and bringing them into the faith family. Now, fun Bible fact, Romans was written after 2 Corinthians, even though it's before that in your Bible. And if you look at Romans 15, you are gonna read this from the Apostle Paul. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Uchaya, or Uchaya, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Now Macedonia, which we're gonna read about momentarily, is in the northern part of Greece, and the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea are there, and Uchaya is the southern part of Greece, and Corinth was the leading city there. So just to tell the end of the story first, evidently the Corinthians listened to what Paul was saying and gave. But there's even more to the story before we get to the passage. And it has to do with some of what you read in 1 Corinthians. So this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses one through three, <clears throat> when Paul's writing the first time around. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I had directed the churches of Galatia, you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. 
And when I arrive, I'm gonna send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So before we look at chapter eight in 2 Corinthians, it's important to know this from back in 1 Corinthians, that Paul has already urged the church of Corinth to give. But if you'll remember what I said a few moments ago, they had some issues they were working through. They had some sin issues. There were some things they needed to repent of, right? And what's interesting, one of the very first things Paul does after they've repented of their sin is start talking to them about gospel-motivated generosity because a piece of transformation, a piece of your sanctification, a piece of growing as a disciple of Jesus will include stewardship and generosity. Or said this way, when the Spirit of God begins to do a deep work in your life, a lot of the time, money and stuff will be towards the top of the list. And as a reminder, that does add up to what we've been saying as we've studied the other passages that we've studied and we've reminded you from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus talked about money and stuff a lot. And I really took the time this morning to set up this background and to set up this context because I think sometimes, maybe you can relate to this, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to forget that when we're reading and studying the Bible, these aren't simply theological things to process, although they are that. But these are real letters, yeah? Written to real people for real life reasons. And the reason here, super practical. The prosperous Corinthians need to be reminded of how the gospel motivates them to live with their hands open for kingdom purposes. Let's do a real quick fast forward. November of 2023, Greenville, South Carolina. If you sit here as a follower of Jesus, is that applicable? I'll answer for you, yes. Not only might there be some similarities in our prosperity, but the motivation for being generous is also the exact same today as it was back in the day in Corinth. And it's this. May the motivation of stewarding God's money be what God has given us in and through Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. May the motivation of stewarding God's money be what God has given us in and through Jesus. And before we jump into the text, let me ask the question again. Are you changing in regards to being generous? Are you growing in living with your hands open towards kingdom opportunities? Are you more regularly and joyfully asking, God, thank you for entrusting your stuff to me. Now, what would you like me to do with your stuff? This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Stop right there, quick moment. Uh, In chapters eight and nine, which are all about cultivating a culture of generosity in the church, fun fact, again, Paul never uses any of the Greek words for money. Now he talks about money indirectly, and it's not because he's nervous to talk about money, but it is because he really did see grace as the foundation of generosity. He talks about grace 10 times in these two chapters. And if you studied Paul's letters, you know he loved talking about grace. And most of the time when we talk about grace, it's all about the undeserved kindness and love of God poured out on those of us that have come into a relationship with God through Jesus or said this way, grace is something that God does for us. But here Paul is talking about grace in this way. Grace is something God does through us. That's what he's referring to here in verse one. How under the influence of the spirit, the grace of generosity flowed through the church in Macedonia. And why does he talk about it this way? Because it is some radical, crazy, gracious generosity. Look at verse two. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means on their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So uh, a couple of quick things, and I'll circle back at the end. Paul says uh, their giving was joyful, not begrudgingly. And he tells us that they gave in the midst of, of a severe trial, which means they were more than likely also being persecuted for their faith. They had lost their jobs, they had lost their homes, they had lost property. And their giving, their generosity went far beyond their ability is what it says, which leads to this question, how do you give beyond your ability? It's a great question. Because for a lot of people, their ability to give something runs through uh, this kind of filter. What are my needs? What are my wants? How much do I need to set aside for savings for future needs and future wants? And then, how much do I have left to give? But the church in Macedonia, they actually cut into their own lifestyle and sacrificed to be able to give and bless the church in Jerusalem. Giving beyond your ability means giving in such a way that it changes how you are living. Not maybe giving after all of your needs and all of your wants and all of your future needs and all of your future wants are met and saved up for. Let me tell a little bit of a story because it's getting a little tense in here. I always like to point it out when I was like, oh my goodness, this guy. All right, hang on. I thought this was a pretty good story. There was a farmer who had a cow and that cow birthed two calves. He was so excited about it, he told his wife, when these calves grow up, I'm gonna sell one of them and give all the proceeds to the Lord because he has blessed us, honey. And a few months later, the farmer came in the house and said, hey babes, I got some bad news. The Lord's calf died. It's a good one. And I told you it was pretty good, right? 
I don't know, odd one, if you're laughing or not. They're laughing in odd two. You may not be laughing. Maybe you've left. Maybe you got up and walked out already because of what we're talking about today. The reality is for many people who claim to love Jesus and follow Jesus and have experienced the grace of Jesus, the reality is for so many, the Lord's calf is always dying. Or maybe we can contemplate the words of Jonathan Edwards. The gospel obliges us to give when we are in distress to those in greater distress than us. How else will we bear one another's burdens if we never relieve one another's burdens except when we can only do it by not being burdened ourselves? Well, then how do we bear our neighbor's burden when we bear no burden at all? The point is this, when I say I can't afford to give because it'll put a burden on me, then I'm not sure we understand the radical nature of gospel-motivated generosity. Because if the gospel motivates us to give, then I will give to the point of feeling the burden myself. Now, listen, listen. Paul's not saying you have to give till you're poor in order to please God. But the question that I think we can consider based off of what we're reading with the church in Macedonia, does my giving actually cost me anything? Is it actually sacrificial giving? Has our lifestyle changed at all because of our generosity? Radical generosity. Look back at verse four. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The word favor is actually the word for grace. Yeah? They begged Paul for the privilege of letting the grace of God that they had received spiritually be passed on to others materially. What? And then Paul says this to the church of Corinth. Look at verse five. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I hope and pray you're starting to see it. This isn't simply about money for Paul and the church in Macedonia as he encourages the church of Corinth. And you know what else I hope that you're beginning to see? As we've talked about this over the last four or five weeks, it's actually not simply about a capital campaign at Fellowship Greenville. This is actually about growing as a disciple of Jesus and living for Jesus and a part of the life change he wants to do in all of our lives is to grow us to be radically generous. Is this an area where you're seeing change? Is it how people would describe you? Radically generous to the point that it actually costs you something. They gave themselves to God. They committed themselves wholeheartedly in repentance and faith. And so they gave themselves to one another. And as a result, they gave their money away. The theologian Calvin says it this way. Our problem is that we think something is lost when we give it away, especially when we give it to other people. 
The Macedonians had been freed up by the gospel, and so they realized that to give is to gain, not to lose, even in their poverty. I mean, the Macedonians here, what we're reading and looking at today is like this practical outworking of really what we've been talking about over the last four or five weeks in particular. They knew, the Macedonians, they knew that they were stewards of God's stuff. And it's not something they just knew. It's actually impacted how they were going to live their life. And again, I'll, I want us to consider it again for a few moments today. It, <clears throat> if we are stewards, then we only own things in a secondary sense. We don't have um, ultimate ownership. We might enjoy it. And stewardship means that you can enjoy it. I don't know if you know that. But the how... The how it is used is to be determined by the true owner of it. And if we, don't, if we don't use it like the owner wants us to, what does that make us? It makes us thieves. And listen again, I know it's a super strong statement, but let's just think about it practically, yeah? If someone gives you a big pile of money and, and says you're a trustee, we want you to steward the money. I want you to give some here and I want you to give some there and I want you to enjoy it. But if you don't, if I don't, if we don't give it where the owner says, you aren't just being stingy, you're being a thief. You're an embezzler. Congratulations. We are, what in the world is going on? Listen, this is why at the core, fundamentally, Christianity is different than every other economic system out there. One pastor said it this way, I thought it was so good. Capitalism asks, whose money is it? Answer, it's my money. And I can do with it what I want. Communism or socialism asks, whose money is it? Answer, it's the people's money. And you must do with it as the community needs. But Christianity asks, whose money is it? It's God's. It's God's money. And we're called to give it as he directs and as he leads. And for some reason, not many people want to throw that into the best economic system debate. So if you're called to be a steward, yet you aren't stewarding, what does stealing look like? Great question. Let's do it. Let's take a stealing test. Are you so excited? All right. Again, odd one, they're laughing over here. They're really hanging with me, I promise. <clears throat> there would be a couple of ways that you could be a thief. Uh, first is when we refuse to honor the rights of other people who have been called to care for things. Or I could say it this way. You're a thief when you take things from others that they're actually supposed to be caring for. So that shows up in uh, some blue-collar crime, like pickpockets, car thieves, robbery, it can show up in what we call white-collar crime, money laundering, embezzling, Ponzi schemes, insider trading. Some of you feeling pretty good about yourselves right now because lately that hadn't been your thing. All right, all right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Others of you, a little nervous. And if that's you, well, we have some pastors that you can meet and talk with about that after the service. Let me throw out some other things, though, that might hit a little more close to home for some of us in the room. If you intentionally don't do your best work, you're robbing your employer. If you slack on your timesheet, robbing your employer. 
If you make a bad product and you know it, even if the buyer doesn't know it yet, shoddy work is stealing. If you cheat on your taxes, pad your expense account, you're a thief. Now the second kind of stealing when we don't honor is when we don't honor the owner's rights over our rights, right? This is what Malachi 3.8 says. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Wait, simply put, if everything we own is God's and he says, if God says, I want a significant amount of my money to go to certain things and we don't give it, that makes us thieves. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we'll do it right now because it applies to what we're talking about. The Bible calls us to be generous with God's money that he has placed in our hands to three specific causes. Here they are. First, God's work or kingdom opportunities. It is the expansion and the advancement of the gospel to those that don't know Jesus, that they would have the opportunity to come to know Jesus. It's the church being the church. It's what we are about as a church. And the reason we don't have any problem doing something like Adam's Mill because we're calling the church to help us keep being the church in the places that he's put us. That's what we're about. Secondly, the poor and the needy, right? To care for widows and to care for orphans and to care for those less fortunate. That's the reason so many of you in the room, you support ministries like that, right? Support things like Miracle Hill and Back to Back, Compassion and Isaiah House. And some of you do that on top of what you give here, which is awesome. And others of you give here knowing that we bless ministries like that. Also awesome. Third, Christians with needs. A big piece of what Paul's talking about here. Benevolence. Three things, three areas that God says in his word, I want my money going to that. Ephesians 4 says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him give generously. So Paul to the church at Ephesus says, you got two choices. You're either generous with God's money or you're a thief. Because here's the thing, if you, if you and I, if we really owned the money and someone asked us, would you please give to God's work? Would you please give to the poor? Would you please give to those needy Christians? And you said no, that would actually make you stingy if you owned it. But if you're a steward of God's money and he's told you where he wants it to go and you say no, that makes you a thief. Now, just again for clarity, Ephesians 4, Malachi 3, and a few other places are calling you a thief, not me. I love it. I love that I just get to teach. I just start to read what it says. It's not really me. It's super awkward if it's me telling you all that you're thieves. That's not me. But it is strong, right? That's like strong wording. God says, I have earmarked large portions of what you steward on my behalf for other people, and I want you to release it for kingdom purposes. And it's no matter how much I've put in your hands, but as again, the example here's the Macedonians who aren't rich. They're actually poor, and they're still releasing what they have for kingdom purposes. But the plea from Paul is to those in Corinth who on the whole are much more well off 
So no matter what we have, I have a lot, I have a little, doesn't matter, don't be a thief. Give like the Macedonians. And you can see in verse six, look back at it with me. Paul is sending Titus to see through what he had talked with him about previously. Verse six, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of, there it is again, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, you're excelling in faith and you're excelling in speech and you're excelling in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace, there's that word again, also. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, you, hey, Church of Corinth, I know you had some things, but you guys are growing. Transformation is taking place in your life in a multitude of ways, but please allow generosity to be a part of your growth and change because Jesus in the gospel actually impacts what? All of life. Can you see as you walk with Jesus that you're releasing more and more of his blessings that he has put in your hands towards his things? As I was studying this week, I was trying to think through like uh, maybe just some practical handles to help us identify a little bit of where we may be when it comes to stewardship and generosity. I don't wanna keep it up here at 30,000 feet and talk about it in that way. And so I wanna attempt to give you a couple of words and definitions that might, they might help you place yourself in regards to your current state of generosity and what it might look like for us to grow in generosity. And please, please, please hear me. I'm not saying that any of these things that I'm getting ready to walk through are actually bad things, but I do think the last one is where we're called to grow and live as a follower of Jesus. Couple of categories for you, ready? Here we go, just a couple. Number one, you might identify yourself as a reactive giver. By that I mean you give impulsively and you give emotionally in response to a need and that's not a bad thing. But other than that, you don't give. So maybe you would say, this is me right now. There is this seed of generosity, but there isn't evidence there is not evidence of ongoing fruit of generosity. Maybe you can relate to this one, not a reactive giver, but an occasional giver. You give sporadically to kingdom things. So again, there is some evidence of generosity, but it's not gonna grow. If you're an occasional giver, it's not gonna grow without intentional consistency on your part. And this is really kind of the, one of the main points I'm wanting to make today, growing in generosity is a discipleship thing. Some of you in this room, if I handed you the mic and I said, tell us your story about how you've grown in generosity, what would you share a story of? You would share a story of someone who discipled you in that. They pointed you to you in that way. My mom and dad, we didn't have a lot growing up, but I saw my mom and dad give regularly to those three areas I just walked through actually. So many of you have been discipled towards generosity. And if you're in the occasional giver category, maybe the growth point is finding someone that you would consider generous and say, would you talk with me about that? Because for the life of me, what I can't quite figure out is when it comes to a lot of other topics of spiritual formation, nobody really seems to mind having the pastor or somebody else talk with them about it. Can I encourage you about how to study the Bible for yourself and hear from the spirit of God through the word of God? That'd be great. 
Can I encourage you to step into biblical community and be reminded that you need other people, but it's actually not all about you? Yeah, that'd be great. Can I encourage you to be intentional in your spheres of influence, to make much of Jesus and the gospel and to pray for those who are close to you but far from God? Yeah, that'd be great. Can I talk with you about releasing the resources that have been put in your hands by God himself to make much of him? None of your business. It's interesting, isn't it? And here's what I would say. It's not really in my notes. If that bothers you, it is okay to ask, why is it, Lord? Like, why is that the thing? That when the pastor starts talking about generosity and money, it kind of sets me off. Or I find myself getting agitated and aggravated. The Spirit's kind. The Spirit will point that out, whatever that looks like. Here's another category, not just reactive or occasional. Maybe you would be a minimal giver. So you give pretty regularly, yet you would also say, I gotta be honest, it's pretty minimally. And by that is mean, by that I mean as long as you have some left over, then you give. So when something else comes up, the first thing to go is your minimal giving. Right? And so I like to give unless fill in the blank, the car breaks down, or I really want to go on this vacation, or it's Christmas time, or and if you're honest, you, you maybe resonate. The Lord's calf is always dying. Every month it dies. Because life has things. And by the way, maybe that's the growth point. Father, I would, Father God, I'd love to be generous, but I'm so upside down financially that even if you put a clear need right in front of me, I couldn't answer it. I couldn't be a part of it. That's something to think through. That's part of growth and change and transformation. Maybe this one you can relate to, not minimal, but proportional. You regularly and faithfully give a percentage of your income to kingdom things. And there isn't much that, you, that alters your giving. But giving outside of that percentage to kingdom things rarely occurs. And again, everybody's attitude in that can be different, right? But for some, that's the reason this whole Adam's Mill thing is like, come on, man, I already give. You guys, I feel like I'm, I'm generous. You guys figure it out because I give this percentage. Or lastly, maybe you could identify yourself as a sacrificial giver. Someone who much like the proportional giver has through prayer determined a regular, generous, sacrificial amount to give to kingdom things, but also responds to other kingdom needs as they arise. Now again, just a couple of things. This is simply an attempt to help us put some general handles on where we are with generosity so that as the Spirit leads, we can identify and celebrate some growth in our lives. That's a good thing. Again, not because we're awesome, but because the grace of God changes us and he changes us in every area of our life. And if you're sitting here today, and I get that it's been a heavier message. And you're thinking, yeah, I probably need to grow in living with my hands open in regards to kingdom things. Or you're going, maybe I am a thief. Maybe I'm an embezzler. Then I want you to please listen to what Paul is getting ready to say. Because it is the most important piece of our growing in generosity. Look at verse eight. I say this, and again, that this is from verse seven, the excelling in the grace of generosity. I say this, 
not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see it? Paul doing what Paul always does, that I pray we always do. A gospel-motivated call to life change no matter what area of life we're talking about. What is it that caused the Macedonians to joyfully and sacrificially give? It was the gospel, not the Sunday school answer, Jesus and the gospel. It was the gospel. God's grace had opened their eyes to the beauty of Jesus, the one who had left the eternal riches of heavenly glory for our sakes. He became poor to make us rich in him. And so the Macedonians are simply following the example of their savior who out of his poverty made them spiritually rich and that grace impacted every area of their life, including the money. And I think when we truly understand that because of Jesus, we get everything for nothing, That's what will truly motivate us to be generous towards kingdom things. Not for a moment, not occasionally, not minimally, not just simply a percentage, but sacrificially. Hey, to the point that it actually costs us something. Or to go back and kind of how I started when the grace of God for you becomes the grace that flows through you in every area of your life, but here we're talking about generosity, then the gospel has motivated your generosity. A fair question might be, Jason, would there be some indicators would there be some indicators that help unpack that a little bit in regards to like, I think, I do I believe the Lord's changing me and I can see that I'm moving towards sacrificial generosity. Yeah, they're just, here's two practical ones for you really quick. Number one is the word that I talked about at the very beginning today, joy. That you have a true joy in giving to kingdom opportunities. Are you genuinely excited about the opportunity to be generous, to give to what God is doing in the world and calling a people to himself? Even in a sermon series like this, this few weeks of stewardship and generosity, what is your general attitude? Is it one of tolerating? Is it one of being skeptical? Or is it one of thankfulness about the reminder that we all need regularly about not letting things capture our heart, but using God's stuff for his purposes? The reminder to not give because you feel guilty, but because you see like God sees and you know you get to be a part of what he is up to in redeeming people like you have been redeemed. Do you have a genuine joy in giving? The second would be this, I'll be done. That you find yourself thinking, how much do I get to give and not how little do I have to give? in regards to kingdom opportunities. You find yourself thinking, how much do I get to give, like the Macedonians? 
and not how little do I have to give in regards to kingdom opportunities. So many times when giving is taught or talked about, pastors inevitably will get asked about the tithe, which is talked about in the Old Testament. And it's often said 10% is what's required under the law of the Old Testament to be given. And if we were doing a whole sermon series, if we had more weeks and I would actually let everybody know that there's actually three tithes if you total them up in the Old Testament and you're looking at more like 25%, not 10%, that the Jewish people living under the law gave back to the Lord, some of which was just burned up. Just burn it up. Here you go, thanks, burn it, great. What's that about, a heart of worship? The New Testament doesn't say much about that. And we've both said, last week Charlie said, and this week I've said, when you look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul doesn't tell them how much to give. He simply calls them to let the gospel motivate their generosity. I would ask these questions. Are we more blessed or less blessed than those in the Old Testament? Are we more indebted or less indebted than those in the Old Testament? I'm gonna say more, you're gonna say why, I'm gonna say Jesus. Or as someone I heard once said, the reason the New Testament doesn't talk about the tithe is because Jesus didn't tithe his life or we would all be lost. So yeah, I believe the New Testament assumes the Old Testament in regards to giving 10% for sure. Like if you're looking for a place to start, fine, it's great. But I trust you to pray and listen to the Spirit and do what the Spirit says. But we're concluding this series by reminding all of you that we want to multiply our community of grace, a community that is passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus in all the ways, not a few ways, not select ways, not the ways that are easy to stand up and talk about in front of everybody, but all the ways. And that only happens as the grace of God for us becomes the grace that flows through us, every part of us, including our generosity because it's his stuff. And so, yeah, practical application, great. There is a season that we're in that's super practical application. The opportunity before us as a church family to allow generosity to flow through us as we look forward to launching Adam's Mill. And yes, we have been asking all of us to pray about what it would look like for us to live with our hands open, that all of us who call Fellowship Greenville home would have the opportunity to be part of expanding our ministry through our collective generosity, not equal gifts, equal sacrifice. And hundreds of you have already committed to do so. We're hopeful that hundreds more of you will. But it's, it's been interesting because people come up and go, Phew. Was that a hard one to talk about? And I said this two weeks ago, it's not. We'll teach the Bible, it's great. But I wanna say something. If you're thinking about joining this group of people here at Fellowship Greenville, you guys are incredibly kind and gracious and generous people. And I've heard from so many of you over the last couple of weeks. And actually what you've been sending is incredibly encouraging. I received an email from an 11 year old who thanked me for my message two weeks ago. And he said, while I don't have much, I realize that I'm rich. 11. And Pastor Jason, I wanted to let you know that I'm gonna pick up an Operation Christmas Child box. I'm gonna take it home and fill it out for a kid who's less fortunate than me. 
to emails and people stopping me, some of you in your 70s. Thank you so much for talking about what you guys are talking about. Keep talking about it. Because we have discovered through our life that what you're talking about actually is life-giving. Stories beginning to come in of what people will sacrifice in this season. It's actually going to cost them something to be a part. Some sharing stories of other capital campaigns we've done. We've done a handful of them through the years. The last one being for Auditorium 2, which we're seated in. So thanks to people who gave to that. And our student ministry, Fellowship Kids Building across the way. Sharing stories about what they sacrificed so that these spaces could be built, so that we can continue to do the ministry the Lord's called us to do. So yeah, today's Commitment Sunday. Feel free to go to the website, go to the app. It's super easy, it's just a handful of steps. If you go, well, you might say it's easy, but I don't think it's easy. That's fine, you can stop by next steps. It's totally fine, they'd be more than happy to help you. Cards were passed out today that look like this. And it's real easy on this card just to Put your info and how much you're being led by the Spirit to pledge, and you can drop those in the offering boxes as you head out the door today. Those are secure. <laughs> and even if you're not able to today, you can over the next couple of days so that next Sunday when we gather together for Celebration Sunday, we look forward to being able to announce about our collective generosity as we look to continue to take the gospel. Hey, real quick. Yes, six miles down the road, but also from there around the globe. I hope you know that. It's a piece of what we do here. We get to keep doing it. And I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And again, it's a pledge. If your circumstances change over the next three years, we get that. Life happens. No one's going to show up at your, I always like, no one's going to show up at your door. Hey, I don't know if you remember this pledge card or not, but uh, we've got it on file, and we've got to ask you a few questions. Odd one, they're still laughing. They've really hung with me. They're doing great. They're doing great. But may the motivation of stewarding God's money always be what God has given us in Jesus. And then from that place, let's live with our hands open to make much of Jesus in the gospel because Jesus in the gospel changes everything, including how we live with our hands open. Would you pray with me? Father God, we always consider it a privilege to be able to come together with brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> no matter where we are, as we were reminded on the front end of the service today, some of us in a great place, some of us in a hard place, some of us filled with joy, some of us filled with sorrow. Some of us looking forward to the holidays, some of us not looking forward to the holidays. Some of us saying that we are rich, some of us saying that we are poor. But it's never lost on me that we get the chance to come together and lift up our voices to you and claim who we are in you. And then that we take some time to open up the scriptures and study them. And the practical reminder of things addressed in the scriptures aren't just for some people a really long time ago that we have to figure out how to manipulate into today. Truth back then, truth now because you are truth. And it doesn't matter the topic, we can be reminded about 
how Jesus is our motivation for any piece of life change that you wanna continue to do in our lives. Don't have to get offended. Don't have to walk out full of guilt and shame. We get to be reminded through your word that the spirit of God wants to continue to change some things in our lives so that the beauty and the hope of the gospel would be seen by a world that needs to see that the beauty and the hope of the gospel actually changes everything. And that includes how we steward your stuff that you have put in our hands for your purposes. And may this place continue to be known because I think we are known. May this place of Fellowship Greenville continue to be known for putting your things into those three areas that you ask us to put it. The church, kingdom opportunities. The poor and the needy. The less fortunate. And our brothers and sisters in Christ that are walking through a hard time. Because you have grown us. There are people here You're growing us life change for sure. And you're growing by bringing people. And we want nothing more than to steward that well for your glory, for your fame. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen.